0: How we doing this morning, Harlem? Amen. Well, I need prayer. Uh, my wife and I, we drove in this morning from, uh, we were we spoke at the, uh, we did a joint marriage class with uh, Jim and Teresa Brown for the New Jersey's marriage retreat, which was a blast. Uh, we had a great time, um, but we drove in this morning from New Jersey, so I need a little prayer. Amen? Let's pray, and then we're going to uh, start our new series on idolatry today so I'm looking forward to that let's pray and let's jump right into this our gracious and awesome God in heaven father we are truly looking looking forward to, to that day where we get to worship you and we get to fellowship with the heavenly angels and all of our brothers and sisters who's persevered and who's kept the faith God we look forward to that day where we get to sit and kneel before your throne and we get to have every tear wiped away from our eyes where well, we get to leave all the stress and sin and hurt and destruction and death and sickness and all these things we get to leave behind and be with you, God. We hope that you pray. Uh, we pray and hope that you will help us to prepare for that day, God. I pray that you'll give me the strength. You'll give me uh, the words to say, the clarity and the uh, the faith uh, to uh, preach this message, God. As we look to. Uh, commit our hearts to you, Father, and to uh, expose any idols that's in our hearts that are competing for that place uh, that's rightfully yours. God, uh, be with me, be with the rest of us as well. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's see if this is working. Let's see if technology is on my side this morning. All right, so far it's not. Lamaka, can you help me out back there, brother? Is it working? All right, in the meantime, let's open our Bibles up to Exodus 32. Exodus 32. And uh, we're, we're going to actually uh, start a series. You know, we've been, uh, as a church, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we You know, we've decided that we're going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our theme scripture for this year is Mark 12, verse 30. You're going to hear a lot of that when you come to worship with us. We're trying to weave in the passion for God into everything we do. And in order for us to do that, though, we have to deal with the roadblocks that are often set up in our hearts. There are always things keeping us from loving either others, ourselves as much as we should, and those things tend to have roots in idolatry It's not something we often talk about because I think quite honestly we we almost assimilate idols with a visual thing, something that we can see, maybe a a statue or or statues or and for, so for some of us, we may think, well, I don't do that. I don't, I don't have a statue of myself up in my bedroom that I kneel before and, and, and lay out sacrifices and offerings before. So what could, what could I, how could I possibly struggle with idolatry? What I'm here to t- today to tell you, I guarantee by the time we're through this series, you will have identified not one but several idols that have been set up in your hearts. Just the study alone, I've already uncovered several idols in my own heart. And let me tell you, I was once like that person. Well, I don't walk around with this around my neck, or I don't have a picture of that on my wall, or I don't do all these different things. But I guarantee you, there is always something in our hearts that are competing for the place that rightfully belongs to God Almighty. How are we doing back there, fellas? Are we good? No? All right, not yet. All right, anyway, many years ago, the Chicago Tribune reported the story of a New Mexico woman who was frying tortillas when she noticed that the skillet burns on one of her tortillas resembled the face of Jesus. Excited, she showed it to her husband and neighbors, and they all agreed that there was a face etched on the tortilla and that it truly bore a resemblance to Jesus. So the woman went to her priest to have the tortilla blessed. She testified that the tortilla had changed her life, and her husband agreed that she had been a more peaceful, happy, and submissive wife since the tortilla had arrived. The priest, not accustomed to blessing tortillas, was something reluctant, somewhat reluctant, but agreed to do it. The woman took the tortilla home, put it in a glass case with piles of cotton to make it look like it was floating on clouds, built a special altar for it, and opened the little shrine to visitors. Within a few months, get this, more than 8,000 people, came to the shrine of the Jesus tortilla. And all of them agreed that the face in the burn marks on the tortilla was the face of Jesus. Except for one reporter who said he thought it looked like former heavyweight boxing champion Leon Spinks. (laughs) Today we're going to start a new series focused on idolatry called American Idols. You know, we may be tempted to laugh at this New Mexican woman and it's obviously a funny story because we, you know, we 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 think we know better. But I assure you, idolatry is no laughing matter. In 1 John 5:21, 1 John chapter 5 verse 21 it says, "Dear children, keep yourselves free from idols keep yourselves free from idols so then James what is idolatry what is idolatry Warren uh, Wiersbe writes an idol is simply a substitute for God or a supplement to God an idol is simply a substitute for God Or a supplement to God. You know, simply put, an idol can be anything that substitutes for the true faith. Any human idea that claims to be more authoritative than the Bible. Any loyalty that replaces the God, that replaces God at the center of our lives. An idol can be anything. Your children can be your idol. Your spouse, I worship the ground she walks on, can be your idol. Just the idea of being in love can be an idol. Happiness, the pursuit of happiness can be an idol. The American dream itself can be an idol. We've had people brave, incredible circumstances to come to America in pursuit of the American dream. I remember having a conversation with a brother who migrated here, and he told me, bro, I honestly believed the stories growing up that the streets in America are paved in gold. And I came here to see it for myself. I mean, it's amazing. So just the idea alone, we can worship, we can long for, we can work so hard to achieve. Some of us right now are, are killing ourselves to achieve the American dream. And it's tearing us up. And it is possible that that can be an idol. In Matthew chapter 6, you might say, well, James, why does God make such a big deal about it? Why why is it such a big deal? Well, Yahweh is a a jealous God. That's what the Bible says. And not in a a sinful way that we think of jealousy, but God created us. And so his jealousy comes from a righteous place. He's thinking, "I, I made you. I created you to love you and for you to worship me for your own good. So why would you replace me with something else I created? And so God has been battling idols since the day he made man. In Matthew 6 verse 24 it says, No one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How do you know if idolatry has taken root in your heart? Well, here's a litmus test. Ask yourself this question. Is there anything in your life right now that you would hesitate to give up if the Lord asked you to? You think about the rich young ruler. Jesus said, go and sell everything you have and then come follow me. His idol was money. Jesus didn't command everyone to follow him to give up all that they had. It was just that this man had a serious issue with an idol in his life. And Jesus says, give it away. In other words, separate your heart from this thing and then come follow me. Then come follow me. And the man walked away sad because he had great wealth. He could not see his life without his money. And we could be the same way. You know, you may not be worshiping a tortilla with the face of Jesus on it, but how about a $20 bill? How about your time? How about your health? Are you willing to sacrifice these things for God? Ephesians 5, verse 5. Are we good? Oh, amen. All right. Thank Jesus. Ephesians 5, verse 5. For of this you can be sure no immoral, no impure or greedy person, such a man is what? An idolater. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You know, when we allow our desires to run our lives, those desires become our gods. Sex, impurity, greed, these desires become our idols. And as we see here, we can forfeit our heavenly inheritance unless we tear down these idols in our lives. You know, worship is in our DNA. Some people say, I'm not a religious person. Neither am I. But we worship something. Everyone worships something. You may not worship Jesus. You may not worship Allah. You may not worship Buddha, but believe me, you worship something. You worship, we all, because it's in our DNA. We're we're spiritual creatures by by design. And so our nature gravitates to idolatry because the sinful nature is, is, is at war with the things that God wants. And so we gravitate to idolatry. And this is why God makes such a big issue about this, because he made us to worship him, not because he needs our worship, but for our own good. God is like, focus on me, devote your heart to me, otherwise you will devote your heart to something that will over-promise and underdeliver. deliver In Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 13, and now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but... To fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. For your own good. You know, parents, and some of you know, we, we know what it was like. The parents are our commands, what do our parents tell us? Don't, don't play around the stove. It's hot, you'll get burned. Right? They didn't tell you that because they wanted to ruin your fun of playing in the kitchen and exploring. They're just thinking you're going to burn yourself. we got to take a trip to the ER. got to listen to you cry all night. No. Stay away from the stove. You're going to get hurt. I love you. Listen to me. Our parents taught us how to cross the street, right? Why? So we don't get hit by a bus. So those loving commands, you don't question your, your parents' love for you when they tell you things that will eat your vegetables. I don't want them. I don't like them. Trust me. 40 years from now, you'll be doing it anyway. Start now. Eat them. Why? They'll make you healthy, right? Loving commands from our parents. So the commands we see in the Bible from God is not to ruin your fun. It's not to make your life miserable. These are loving commands coming from a loving parent who knows better. God knows better. He doesn't throw all these principles in the Bible just because he likes the way they sound. He does it because he doesn't want us to fall from grace. He doesn't want us to give our hearts away to idols. You know, we can find several ingredients in Exodus account when God had his people come out of Egypt and right away we see They struggled with what they were accustomed to back in Egypt. They were surrounded. Their culture evolved around the many idols the Egyptians worshipped. It was always hard for them because when you think about it, the Egyptians prospered while the Israelites were enslaved. And so all their gods, it made it seem as if if their gods were more prosperous than Yahweh himself because Well, I'm worshiping Yahweh, the true God, and I'm a slave. This guy is worshiping a golden bull on a mountain, and they're rich. Something's wrong with this picture here. And for 400 years, they were used to this. That could happen to any one of us. I go to church every week, and my coworkers seem happier than I do. I read my Bible and pray, but why do I feel like there's something else missing? And right away, we compare our God to their gods. We, we start to wonder, you know, am I following the wrong God here? I thought God was supposed to give me what I want. When I said Jesus is Lord, he's supposed to answer all my prayers, the way I want them, when I want them. Why is it that this guy can do whatever he wants? And God blesses him. Why is it that she can do and do whatever she wants? And God blesses her. So when you're used to seeing that for many many years, you start to wonder. What am I doing wrong? What's missing? And so here we see the Egyptian you see the Israelites struggling with the same mentality. In Exodus 32, we're going, to stay, we're going to spend most of our time here in this passage. Exodus 32, let's read it together. Exodus 32, we're going to read from verses 1 through 7. And the Bible says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us about of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Aaron answered, "Okay, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters were wearing, and bring them to me." So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed, he took what they had handed to him, and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, "These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt." When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up and indulged in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, you better go down there because your people. I think it's always funny when God is like, your people, your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. Now, God's not obviously passing the responsibility over. He's just like, you better go down and help your people out. So let's look at a few of these ingredients. The first thing is impatience. It's the first thing we notice here, right? Right? Verse, verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. You know, Moses did not give the Israelites any indication of how long he was going to be up on the mountain with God. He didn't tell them beforehand, all right, guys, look, I'm going to go up there for about a month and a half. I'm going to get the new commands for the Lord, you know, before we conquer the promised land. So, you know, just, just be good. They didn't know how long, Moses. It was so, so long. They were like, Yo, what's, what what happened to Moses? They were leaderless. They didn't have any direction. They didn't know what to do. Where are we going? What are we going to do? And the people grew impatient. He was obviously gone long enough for the people to wonder if he was still alive. It's like, we don't even know if he's dead or alive. In her book, Idols of the Heart, Elise Fitzpatrick writes, In the middle of of this instant, give it to me quickly, it better be convenient culture, we tend to think that God should work in our lives in the same way. Quickly, Lord, if you don't mind. And we turn to idols because we refuse to wait on God's timing. We refuse to be patient, like Charles was saying today with with the community. Patience is long-suffering. That's the definition of the word, long-suffering. That's what it means. Have you grown impatient with God? Have you grown impatient with God? And have you grown weary of waiting for his deliverance? Is your situation overwhelming you to the point to where you're about to take control? See, we seek satisfaction from forbidden sources. Because we don't want to wait for satisfaction to come from the legitimate source. And so we, too, can be just like the We don't know how long it's going to take. So I'm not going to wait. I want it now. The second ingredient we see is doubt. As for this fellow Moses who brought us about Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. You know, impatience often leads to doubt which is another ingredient to form an idolatry. Doubt often leads to uncertainty. And you think about this, they had two choices. They could either continue to walk in faith or they could choose to doubt. And we see this oftentimes in the church. We start to doubt whether or not we're a part of the kingdom of God because of uncertainties impatience leads to doubt things aren't changing the way i wanted to so i don't know if i'm in the right place and we start to doubt see if they had continued to wait Moses would have come down with the blessings that god had given and they could have avoided A major major backslide in their walk with God see as a result God had to deal with them in a very severe way and sometimes we find that when we're impatient it affects our faith it affects our confidence in God's ability to take care of us and see and that's an ingredient to idolatry you know daily uncertainties are always in our in our view and you have a choice I'm going to either believe that God is going to help me through this, or I'm just going to doubt. I'm just going to doubt. You can choose faith, or you can choose doubt. You can choose to trust God's love for you in your, your daily lives. Like it says in Romans eight twenty-eight. God works for the good of those who love him. Or you can choose to not believe. When we choose doubt, we choose not to trust in God's love for us. And then we fall into the same sin Rebecca and Jacob did when they deceived Isaac, when she didn't trust that God was going to take care of him. And instead, they they resorted to scheming and cheating to get what they wanted, all because they doubted God's love for them. Thirdly, simplicity. We see here in verse 1, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. You know, you and I may never say such a thing. We probably wouldn't even think such a thing, but it made perfect sense to them at the time. See, they wanted a God that they could see. They wanted a God that they could identify with. Something that was familiar. Something that was comfortable. Waiting patiently is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. You know, we we tend to create practical idols. Idols that feel familiar to us. Idols that don't demand a lot from us. And our pet idolatries are mostly those that help us blend in with our culture and rather stand out and be different. You know, the Bible, when it describes believers and Christians, they call us aliens, strangers in the world. We're told in 1 John to not love the things of the world. We're called to keep the world far from our hearts. But when we want our lives to be simple and we bow to the simplicity of the idols in our lives, then we want things to fit easily into our lives. And we seek out things that will make everything we do very simple. You know, I don't have time to sit down and have a real Bible study, so I'm just going to let this app make me spiritual. There's nothing wrong with an app. There's nothing wrong with a Bible, an electric Bible. But is that the only time, the only way you're getting your time in with God? Ask yourself, is it because it's simple? Or is it because I absolutely just can't flip through the pages of my Bible? Just because it's it's comfortable and easy doesn't mean that it's right. That's what the Israelites wanted. They didn't want to wait for God. They wanted something that was familiar to them. Something they can go and see every day and give the credit to. Now, you know what's interesting with this is that Our American idols are often dressed in clothes of practicality and convenience. If it's uncomfortable following God, we simply switch to what is simple. And we see people do that all the time. We avoid following God because of the pressure of being different. You're going to face pressure whether you're in church or out of church. I don't know about you, but when I was lost, I faced... The pressure of keeping up with all the lies I was telling. I faced the pressure of impressing all the people that I thought I wanted to be around and that were my friends. That is pressure. Dressing a certain way. Acting a certain way. Making sure that I always had enough money in my pocket to cover my club costs and the drinks and making sure I had enough to buy a drink for a young lady in case. I mean, that was a lot of pressure. Telling one story to this person, and really, was it who did I tell that? Was it her? I used to tell girls different names. I could remember who I told who. I, hey, it's me. Hoping that they would say who it was so I could remember who I'm talking to. That is pressure. on your job trying to climb up that corporate ladder that's pressure some of you have been asked to do things that you know would violate your conscience made you feel all uneasy inside that's pressure but loving somebody who who loves Jesus that's pressure coming to God Two days a week for two hours is pressure? Reading your Bible? I mean, we read newspaper longer than we read our Bibles. Let's be honest. Come on. You can't tell me you ain't up in Vogue in, 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 in L Magazine or O Magazine. That's a good 40 minutes right there. You're reading articles. I read men's health articles. That's a good 30 minutes. And I only give God five? Next ingredient, ingratitude. Ingratitude, 31 uh, verse 1, 32 verse 1, it says, As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. You know, it's funny how the people refer to Moses as this fellow. Right? It's like when, we, when things start going, we start disconnecting ourselves with people. It's like, yeah, I don't know what's up with our leaders. We go from being James's and Zalika to our leaders or the leaders. That's the one. I don't know what's going on with the leaders. We just totally like, you know, we go from being on a first name basis. You know, when people come to church and they're like pastor, and I'm like, look, just call me James. Everybody else does, you know. And I'm, we're fine with that. But when, God forbid, we don't do something or something, we can change it. Like the leaders in this church. And I'm thinking, goodness gracious, I mean, did we kill your cat or kick your dog or something? like, we just put you in a different prayer group. It's not like I slapped you with a wet piece of, wet bag of bread or something. Yeah, I'm like, goodness gracious. Moses went from being our brother, our fellow Jew, to being this fellow. I mean, the last time I checked, the man helped you cross the red sea. The man with the Pharaoh on your behalf and said, let my people go. He went up there with courage. Despite all his insecurities and fears, and now he's been reduced to this fellow. Ungrateful. Ungrateful. But more importantly, there's no mention of God. How many times has this fellow Moses said, look at these passages here. Exodus 13, verse 3, remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hands. Verse 8, on that day, explain to your son, this is because of what the Lord did for me when I came up out of Egypt. Exodus 16, verse 6, this evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. They had been delivered From an oppressive and painful slavery, they had seen mind-boggling miracles. They had been guided by a pillar of fire at night and by a column of cloud by day. They vowed to obey everything God had said to them. Yet, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. As it says in Romans 1 verse 21. We are no different. We, too, have seen mind-boggling miracles. We've seen people recover from drug addiction. We've seen fractured marriages become whole. We've seen people come to Christ, and you were thinking, how in the world? I, I, I've sat down and studied the Bible with people, and I'm thinking, man, this is going to take this. You know, brother, you going to need some help. I mean, we're going to have to pray and fast, and before you know it, it's like, I'm ready. Jesus is Lord. And they're still faithful. And I'm thinking, well, that's amazing. I look at my own life. I said, I remember writing down in my prayer journal, my very first prayer, if I can last for a year, I can do this for the rest of my life. I honestly did not believe I would be a faithful Christian. More or less be in a ministry. I'm amazed at that all by itself. I'm like, Lord, not only did you keep me faithful, but you gave me a wife. You gave, me, you gave me all the things that I never thought that I would have. All the things that I never thought that I was good enough to have. Mind-boggling miracles. And God still continues to do them. But when you and I neglect our private and corporate worship, we open the door for idolatry. We open the door for ingratitude. When we forget the things that God has done in our lives and in the lives of each other, when our prayers of thanksgiving start to trickle or stop, when we make our friends or ourselves vulnerable, when we, when, we, when we stop giving God the glory and the praise he deserves, when we forget God's actions and purposes to such a degree that we neither glorify him nor give thanks to him, we're only complaining. When we start complaining more than we start thanking God, we make ourselves susceptible to idolatry. And such ingratitude is a catalyst for creating, creating an idol in your life. Number five, regression. Regression. You know, when you're complaining, when you're impatient, when you're ungrateful, you don't grow spiritually. You go backwards. You start going backwards. In verse uh, four of chapter 32, it says, that he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Have you ever wondered why Aaron chose to make the idol in the shape of a calf? Like, where did that come from? Like, did he just say, you know, uh, make a calf? No, there's, there's, a, there's a reason. That was not random. See, back in Egypt, one of their main gods was Apis. He was the god. It was, it was in shape. It was basically, it wasn't even a, 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 a statue or anything but it was in the form of a bull and they would worship live bulls. They would have a live bull up an altar and the Egyptians would worship and, and it was a God of fertility and they would engage in sexual activities to, as a part of their worship. And so what, what Aaron did was he went with something that was familiar, but not exactly like it. Does that make sense? And then what he did is he took a big old God label And smacked it right on there. Here's God. Here is the Lord. Because up until then, they didn't see God. So by doing so, they were actually trying to replace the holiness. They were taking the holiness of God out of the picture. And they were putting God in a box. Something easy for them to understand. Something easy for them to get and grasp. And we can be the same way. We want God to be in a box where we can wrap our minds around. We want God to be in a box where we can easily manipulate and get the things that we want and do the things that we want and to make it easy and to understand. And God is like, no, I am unfathomable. You cannot contain me. You cannot put there is not a box on earth big enough to contain me. Some scholars believe that Aaron copied this Egyptian god because it was what they were familiar with. But they regressed. They went back to being slaves again to images. Instead of allowing themselves to worship God freely, they went back to what they were used to. You know, for some of us, that can be anything. That could be anything that we're we, we're used to. You know, we a lot, you know we we grew up in churches that put a lot of emphasis on different aspects of of their worship. You know, you go to churches that have a fantastic choir, and every service is like going to a concert. And if that's what you're used to, when you don't have that anymore, you start to wonder what's, what's up with that. I don't feel. I don't feel it. I, that was one of my biggest qualms coming here. I'm you, I used to sing in the choir. you be with me. You know, just, I had no choice. My uncle was a music minister. So I was, come on, man, you got to sing. So I remember it was always organs, drums, tambourines, and I came to this church. I'm like, where's the band? That's the first thing my eyes was scanning for. Where, where, where's, where's the organ? Who's the organist? Cause that's what i was familiar with that's what i was used to but then i quickly realized that okay well that's a part of my worship but that can't be the sole reason for my worship like i don't go to church to feel good i need to go to church to be good to be like jesus that's the purpose and when that happens I can sing an a cappella song and still feel good about being a Christian. I don't need to have a horn section to help me be grateful for my walk with God or the church that I belong to. Sometimes it's easy for us to regress going back to the things that God doesn't even command us to have. God doesn't command us to have an incredible worship ministry in the New Testament. He encourages us to sing hymns and songs of spiritual songs to one another. How about we do that for Bible Talk this week? Sing to each other. Now, I know some of them Bible Talks are going to be crazy, but <laughs> everybody's singing off key, but we're going to sing the Lord. Because it's coming from a real place, right? I love hearing us sing. I love hearing us worship. I love that when we can come together, it's, it's organic. It's organic. It's uninhibited. It's, 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 it's real to me. When you can come and you can sing and you can worship together and praise God without feeling like you need to warm up to it. The next thing is compromise. We're coming down to a close here. Compromise. Verses four and five. He took what they handed him and made it into a cast idol, an idol cast in the shape of a cat fashioning it with the tools then they said these are your gods O Israel who you brought up out of Egypt when Aaron saw this he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord you know it's not hard to see what Aaron was trying to do you know he's basically saying okay well if you must have an idol then let's call it the Lord let's not abandon the first commandment even if you insist on breaking the second one which says Cast no graven image in the place of the Lord. That's exactly what they were doing. But these type of compromises are dangerous. You know, when I, I, idolatry is rarely outright, it takes time, and it starts in our mind, and it develops, and it, it 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 starts to to develop over time in our minds, and our it starts to affect our thoughts, and before you know it, you you're. You're finding yourself compromising. You're finding yourself because you want it to be simple. You want it to be easy. You're, you're seeing things that's hard for you instead of realizing that, no, God could be teaching you perseverance. God could be teaching you endurance. God is working on your faith. Instead, we, we start to complain and then we, we start to feel like, man, well, why is life so hard if I'm a Christian? And if God really loves me, did he be working out for the good. He would give me what I want. And then all these things can affect the way we think about our walk with God. And then we start to compromise because idolatry starts in the heart. It exploits our deepest desires. It overpromises and it underdelivers. You know, if the the idea of marriage is one of your idols, if that's a part of your American dream, there is a possibility that that can over-promise and underdeliver. deliver You know, I wish I could stand before you and say that everyone that gets married is happy. Just like I can't say that every parent is a happy parent. Or that our kids, for that matter, are happy to be to have the parents that they have. There's no promise to any of these things. And that doesn't mean that any of them are bad. Some people can be extremely happy being single i don't want to be married i don't i'm not trying to share my you know my stuff with nobody i like my things the way it is you know took a lot of getting used to when, when z and i got married i'm like oh yeah that's right i gotta it's our stuff you know i like my things a certain way she liked her things a certain way i'm like all right you know we gotta work this out sister you know what I'm saying? I need at least, you know, half the bed, you know. But we worked it out. Over time, you work it out. But, I mean, just the idea that I need this to be happy. My life is will not be complete without this thing. If I don't reach this part, if I'm not successful in this, if I don't, you know, you put this pressure on yourself that God doesn't put on you. You know, in our married class, just to give you guys a little sneak peek about, you know, one of the things we talked about was acceptance or understanding. What does God command? You know, a lot of spouses drive each other crazy because we think that the goal is understanding each other. But nowhere in the scriptures does God command us to understand our spouse you will never fully understand your husband woman because you're not a man you're not a man we think differently we are designed different our whole perspective on everything is different and brother let me tell you I don't care how many books you read I don't care how many marriage classes and seminars you go you will never fully understand your wife you just won't So, therefore, accept it. That is in the scriptures. The Bible says accept one another, forgive one another, love one another. All those accepting, that's in the Bible. It is. But when we feel like, man, things should be a certain way, we start to compromise. Because our expectations are not met. No, my kids should be A students. Where is that? That's your expectation. God didn't give you them to be A students. God gave you them to love them and to teach them his ways. To accept them. To love them. To work on their hearts. To work. Is being an A student great? Absolutely. Absolutely. You may get in a great college. They may get a fantastic career. But what about their salvation? Where are your priorities? You know, people think, well, well I want to get married because I, 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 you know, I can't, can't stay pure. So sex becomes their idol. That becomes the goal. Let me ask you something. Is it promised that when you marry your spouse that they'll always be able to have sex? What if they get terminally ill and they're unable to perform in that way? What happens when you put all your eggs in that basket? And that'd be the reason you got married, and now you cannot have that. You start to compromise. Well, God understands my situation. And now happiness becomes an idol because I deserve to be happy. God wants me to be happy. I'm not happy in my marriage, so God would understand if I go and get my knees elsewhere because he's unable, she's unable to meet that need, and we compromise. And we make it spiritual by putting God on it. Just like Aaron. They made this calf and said, tomorrow we will worship the Lord. But you know what ends up happening is the last thing. Corruption. You see, idolatry has this ability to corrupt everything we do once it takes root in our hearts. What ended up happening here with the with the Israelites is after they made this, after Aaron made this golden calf, after he 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 put God in this box, it corrupted their worship. In verse 4, it says, He took what they handed and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf fashioning with the tooth. Then he said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival for the Lord. Well, I read that. I want to say verse 6. So the next day, people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revel. It shows right there where their hearts were at. it show right there. Their worship became corrupted. It, it influenced their worship. You know, sometimes we think that, well, I can do this and it won't affect my relationship with God. Right here we see a perfect example of how you cannot worship an idol and still give your heart fully to God. As Jesus says, you will love the one or Hate the other. There is no place in our hearts for both God and the love of money or the love of anything else that threatens to take your faith, to devote your love to other than God. It is impossible. It's impossible. And we see it right here. They couldn't worship the true God because they were worshiping a false God. So that means even their worship was corrupted. You know, the last thing we see here, sin corrupts our hearts. In 32, verse 7, says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. Now, up until this point, they were okay. See, that they became corrupt. In Titus 1, verse 15 and 16 says to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You know, the Bible doesn't hold anything back. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. God is not going to say, you know what, it's okay. You guys, you know go party, do whatever you want, drink it up, smoke it up, and then come, come, let's, let's, let's have a good time on, on Sunday. No. Because your conscience will be corrupted. You'll be singing, you'll be taking communion, and you'll be like, man, how can I do this after what I did last night? How can I even sing this song after the way I treated my spouse yesterday? It becomes corrupted. It's hard for you to focus on God. But what I love, what Titus says, it says to the pure, all things are pure. You know, when we confess, when we rid our hearts of sin, all things are pure. That means you too are pure in the eyes of God. It's only when we allow ourselves to be corrupted by sin does it affect everything else. When you're spiritual, it affects everything else. Think about that. When you're in a bad place spiritually and you go shopping and you're on the line, you impatient, you're impatient. You're, you're angry. You're short. You're disrespectful. You are borderline, like David says, a brute beast. Now, I just confess my sin. How about you? But when you're spiritual, you understand. That girl is probably having a hard day today. How many disgruntled customers does she have to deal with? What's going on in her life? How many people are rude to her today? And I'm just adding to it. When you're spiritual, you see all things spiritual. You understand, you're loving, you're patient, you're kind. But when you're not, everything becomes corrupted. Everything becomes corrupted, even our worship. See, idols corrupt our hearts and minds, keeping us from doing the good and the pure things that God calls us to do. That's the bad news. But there is good news. The good news is God can help us turn down our idols. But we have got to be courageous enough to pray and ask God to reveal them to us. Help us to see what they are. Expose them in our lives so that we can deal with them. Do you know that every time God dealt with idolatry with His people, He sent them to tear it down? I think there's something to that. There's something to God having us physically do something in this process. God could absolutely burn up, tear them down, but there's something about you and I making the effort to tear down the idols, to show. God has this place in my heart, and no longer you. Guys, we're gonna have a great time. We're gonna look at some great, uh, some great stories, some great scriptures, and we're gonna look at the root of a lot of these idols, and we're gonna deal with it. And God is gonna work in our way, in our hearts, in a way that we hadn't seen in a long time. I love you guys. To God be the glory.